Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me here on the Final Draft Podcast. It is all about books, writing and literary culture. My name is Andrew Popel and look, Final Draft broadcasts every week from the studios of 2SER in Sydney, Australia. This show is dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to the authors that you know and love, like the, the ones that you keep coming back to. These conversations are about looking into the issues that drive the author's storytelling as a way to help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Now, two SEO broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging these are unceded lands and the treaty has never been made with the First Nations. Now, today I'm joined on the show by Rachel Code. Rachel is an artist and she has branched out into storytelling with her uh, with her first novel, her first graphic novel, her first long comic. It is called New York City Glow. This is an absolutely wild ride. Rachel's storytelling is matched perfectly by her gorgeous illustrations. I cannot wait to share this. So join me as we discover Rachel Code's New York City Glow. It is my pleasure to be welcoming to the show today, Rachel Code. Rachel is an award-winning painter from Western Australia, and today she is joining me. We have just the most gorgeous, I want to share it with you, dear listener, but of course this is radio, not the best medium, New York City Glow. It is Rachel's first book. It is fabulous. I cannot wait to get into it, but Rachel, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you. Look, this is a show about books. We love a good story. So I want to I want to set up the story of New York City Glow. It's deceptively simple. An octopus <laughs> named Strawberry and a snake named Ray road trip across the continental USA in the late 70s, landing in New York in time to save the city from the forces of darkness and secure the future of music forever. I oh, know. How did I, how did I do? <laughs> really well. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Fabulous. I think there's a little bit of misdirection in there and a little bit of uh, a little bit of teasing. Um, I hardly know where to start. I want to. I want to get into. This is a really sort of multimodality text. Like there are so many different ways to experience this. But maybe we'll start with your protagonists. Ray is a disaffected middle class insurance sales snake. Strawberry is a bioluminescent octopus with a record whose physical wonder is a source of consternation to all around her. <laughs> so like, yes, that's right. The way you throw them together makes for this wonderful found family style narrative. But I really wondered, where did you find these two heroes? Um, so, yeah, um, so I'll start with the octopus. Uh, I've I, my main job is a painter and I had a residency at a winery here in Margaret River and I had my studio set up in the middle of the gallery space um, and there's a beautiful restaurant there and all that kind of thing. Um, and every lunchtime the, um, the kitchen would send down my lunch to me and I, as a thank you I would send up a little cartoon or a drawing, uh, something themed either uh, about who made the lunch or uh, what was going on in the world at the time. And um, anyway, one day an octopus tentacle arrived on a plate and was presented to me. Um, I don't eat octopus, so I, I went hungry that day, but it was beautifully presented um, and with a note attached to it saying, we'd like an octopus today, please. So um, I 
got busy and drew a very unhappy octopus in a fry pan on an eight burner oven top. Uh, I was pretty proud of it. It, um, yeah, I, I spent a little bit longer on it. And um, anyway, so that was the start of Strawberry. She turned up in a couple of picture book ideas, but that was her beginning. And Ray, the snake, is actually a Jugite um, who lives outside my studio. So um, I see him now and then. So he's quite quite a large snake. Yeah. So that's sort of where the the they came from. And um, yeah, and I just built their little personalities around them. I love that. I love that they they began visually. Um, I think people who have discovered New York City Glow and those who are yet to discover it will really appreciate, I guess, the idea that Strawberry first came to you as this disembodied tentacle. And, and that's really there in the visual stylings that I hope we'll get to later. Um, sure. I wanted to keep the story fairly opaque for future readers to discover. But suffice to say, you craft something of a hero's quest folded into an old school cross-country road trip like, yeah what inspires you about a road trip um I know there's a lot going on in this book isn't there um, so yeah road. I mean road trips yeah everyone loves a road trip and that's sort of that classic road trip across America as well mm. um and you know and also because it's got a soundtrack attached you know it's mm. it's the tape deck and it's the um, the mixtape that you're listening to on the road trip and that kind of thing. And um, and it was it was a nice way for these characters to meet also just to just to help the story push along a little bit. Yeah. Did um did you have a sense that both of these stories sorry, both of these characters would be questing? I mean the road trips really have this sense of moving moving from one space to another, but I, I feel like for Ray and Strawberry, they're kind of moving from one space in life to another. Uh, yeah, was that yeah. part of the journey? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's about self-discovery and just wanting both wanting a better life and both searching for it in their own particular way. Um, you know, Ray's, um, you know, he's, he's halfway through his life. He's five now and he's, um, yeah, he's just caught in a rut and the world's moving past him and he's really, really had enough. So, um, he, um, yeah, he just sort of snaps, I suppose, and, and hits the road and, um, poor strawberry, is um she's got a prison record and is in that rut and cycle of the prison system and the same thing too and that's when they really meet is is at that point where they're both wanting something more mm. and they're going to find that in music we're going to get to the music in a second i also just wanted to to nod to the fact that there is a real darkness to the novel um Again, I, I want to keep this fairly opaque, but you depict mm. Strawberry being victimised just for being who she is, and that yeah. lends to her being subject to some pretty horrific treatment. I wondered what you were looking at here. Um, well, I yeah, I love Strawberry as a character. Um, I um, I like it. She's her own girl. Uh, I when when I was actually starting um, some concept drawings. I didn't know what this book was going to be, that it was going to be in all ages. Um, so I actually sent some illustrations and, and short sequences to some of my friends to road test on their kids. And um, one of the girls came back and said uh, her daughter um, 
I said, oh, yeah, um, you know, but Strawberry's not very pretty and she doesn't have hair. And um, I'm like, oh, no, no, that's perfect. That's, you know, she's her own girl. She's just about her music. She likes to paint her face. She loves that she's, you know, she's just her own. She doesn't conform to anything. So, yeah, I hope I'm answering your question. It's just, yeah, she's she's not conforming. She's And, and sadly, that's what got her in a lot of trouble. <laughs> she was just being her own girl. Also, she is an octopus, you know, in a big city as well. But, um, but the, I mean, the darkness... Um, I kind of like the the contrast of these cute, lovable characters, and um, just these quite horrific things happening to them, and they're going through it, and we're looking at this um, from the outside. And and to Ray and Strawberry, that's very real to them. This is they take their world very seriously. So mm. um, yeah, that's it's kind of nice to look in on that. Yeah, you might you will probably find from the tenor of my questions that I took their world quite seriously too. Before yeah. we before we get too far away from you road testing um, your character drawings, did <laughs> did um did you experiment at all with strawberry having hair? Because to be perfectly honest, an octopus with hair. I mean, I'm not sure if this child had ever <laughs> met an octopus before. An octopus with hair sounds horrific. Yeah, it just didn't work. I, you know, I, I I gave it a shot. You know, you try everything when you're doing concept drawings. I just try and go all places. And it just it was like, no, that's just not her at all. Um, yeah, so, no, I just certainly tried, but it was just – it was silly. I mean, why? You know, <laughs> yeah. Mm, it was – I mean, I, 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 I've been accused of, of maybe reading too much into books in the past, but I saw this really nice kind of parallel with the idea that often when we look back, we look at stories where horrific events happen and we, we get phrases like it was a different time. Um, and for Strawberry, who, who undergoes some really terrible things, it made me think about, you know, what would happen to a bioluminescent octopus caught in the criminal justice system today? Would she... You know, would she be forced to, uh, I guess, so brutally conform? Um, I mean, this is just a ludicrous. Well, sadly, statement. I think yes. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I don't think things have changed much. You mm. know, um, yeah, um, yeah, not uh, yeah. Just the the system is very brutal, and um, you know, I mean, I don't watch a lot of television, but now and again, I flick on those um, those American prison shows, and they're just it's really sad to see that, you know, and the amount of people in that system as well. Mm. Yeah. We're pitching it right now, everyone. Bioluminescent is the new black. That's it's, it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> New York glow meets. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking, it's inevitable, Rachel, like whenever we are talking about this book, we are using this sort of visual language. And so I want to get to your visual language. Um, you blend so throughout the story, you blend this kind of sepia, almost photorealistic land and cityscape with the cartoonish desperation of Ray's snaky gloom. The horror, <laughs> like I, I, I know they're gorgeous, but also there's a horror movie quality to Strawberry's tentacles. It's a, <laughs> it's a fa phantasmagoria that seems to kind of lend itself perfectly to that era. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the seventies were like. I wasn't there, but the oh. plot. <laughs> And to the plot, what led you to these combinations of visual styles in creating New York City Glow? Um, well, I mean, you know, I for the whole book, I love big cities, I love music, and I love the 1970s. And I was, um, so I, I was five in 1977, so I, I remember the 70s 
quite well. And um, a lot of my, uh, it seemed like every old person around every accountant or um, someone working in a shop was called Ray. So that's why I called my snake Ray. Um, and there's all the, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'll just run with it and you can tell me. Um, and all the visual references, the wallpaper, the mirrors, everything I could probably link back to something that I grew up with that was in my childhood home. Um, so I'm quite nostalgic, I suppose. And, um, and also that. Cool home. This, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so they're all like Ray's bathroom, for example, that mirror, we, we had that, I think it was my grandmother's and that was in the house and the, his, the wallpaper behind the mirror, that was in our bathroom, my childhood bathroom, um, well, it's not wallpaper, I don't know what it was, but yeah, the wall anyway, but, um, yeah, I did, I really, I, the detail in the illustrations, I really enjoyed that and I put a lot of, I, I did, I knew that I was going too far though. And it really was time to stop when I designed a pattern for the upholstery of Ray's car and put it in. <laughs> and I thought that that's probably, uh, it's time to stop now. That's enough. You know, I, I really, I did really, I just kept going back into the pages and trying to improve them. And yeah. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm just sort of looking along, Rachel, as you describe this. The mirror, just to give everyone a sense, I really need to give people a sense of the visuals here. The, sure. the mirror is this gorgeous um, sort of, it's almost like a, a nouveau style bevel edged cut glass. It's it's fabulous. And then we, we, we really move along the with Ray's facial expression, which I guess... It, it casts a bit of a pall over, the, you know, otherwise quite cool place that he lived in. And then as they move through the country and into the city, you contrast this really wonderfully with um, th these incredible realistic skyscape, skyscraper drawings and then I guess uh, almost horrific. And I know there are there's there's uh, fan facts that, that let us know little bits and pieces about um, the settings. The CBGB's bathroom, which is is yeah. a horror story unto itself, and the, the visuals <laughs> are just fabulous. Oh, thank you, thank you. I that um, I actually reworked the CBGB's scenes um, because really I didn't have I had the brick wall and the darkness, but I didn't have the graffiti. And then I, I actually ordered all these books off. I tried to do as much research as I could to get the feel of it. And there is actually a book which is just the graffiti of CBGBs. I'm like, right, I've got to rework the, all these pages. So that's that's why it got grittier. And I'm really glad I did, actually. I, I feel like I've got the feel of it now, especially the bathroom of, of CBGBs and the grot, yeah. It's it's kind of – it's so glorious. I sort of has a real – I was vibing sort of a zine meeting fine art in a almost right. a collage-type style. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's I, I see it as a work of art, actually. Um, I created it, it was the art first, really. I knew roughly what the story was going to be, but I I mean, I, I think a lot of, well, a lot of experienced graphic novelists sort of have a, have a script or a, um, a story and then they execute the illustrations in order. Um, but no, that's just not my style at all. I I would have never have finished it if I tried to do that. I, I, the story, I knew roughly what the story was. 
So I was creating scenes from the end of the book and the start of the book and knowing that I was going to fill in the in-betweens as it, as it developed. And that was for me a really good way to do it because it helped me with the visuals of the characters and, and I, I sort of, I fell in love with the characters and I, um, uh, you know, and having them interact and um, I, I sort of, once I had them interact and then I, Ray sort of became almost a, not a mentor, but he just sort of looked after Strawberry, you know, it was kind of, and I'm like, oh, that's what that is now. You know, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a nice little journey for me too, I suppose. Yeah. Before we get to the music, I, I picked up there, you were talking about graphic novels, graphic novelists, and not to nitpick, but I, I noticed on the cover, the cover describes New York City Glow as a long comic. Like, I, I feel like as a comic book reading kid, I watched as a sort of semi-serious debate um, raged around the more frivolous comic, he says in inverted commas, reading and the serious yeah. artistic graphic novel. Like, yeah. w- was that at all on your mind through the process? Yeah, it was a little bit. Um, the the reason I called it a long comic was because um, I, I I mean I've been dabbling around with this for ages, and I've had several conversations with people who have no idea what a graphic novel is, and um, and I sort of start explaining, and re- all I came up with in the end is just it's a long comic, and that that seemed to do, you know, like they were like, they were like oh okay, all right, I get it now, you know. Um, so um, when it came to, I, my publisher said, well, we need to know what it is. You've got to put it on the cover. And so I originally had a graphic novel mm. and I was just looking at it and I thought, oh, I'm just going to try the long comic thing. So I did, I had them side by side and I don't know, for some reason, just, uh, I, I just loved the long comic. And also it, it, I'm not, I suppose it's the book's not taking itself too seriously as well. That's probably where that's um, from. If that answers your mm. question, I'm not sure. You can, but, you can yeah. absolutely leave it to me to take the book too seriously. And, <laughs> and, it also, and it's it's definitely a long comic because I also remember there were, back in my comic book reading days as a kid, there were trade paperbacks, which, right. were, which were long comics, but they were actually uh, – they were collections of series of comics, so you get like six put together. And isn't, okay, right? Isn't right. this fun talking talking like the industry type side of yeah. things? <laughs> <laughs> I hope nobody sees the cover though and tries to only pay fifteen cents for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So the the story inevitably uh, collides with the music on each page. You have a music suggestion. There is a playlist up on Spotify that people can uh, can sing along to. Before we get to how it intersects with the story, though, I, I wanted to I wanted to just pick up on that. You've got, I guess it's it's a musical road trip of its own through late twentieth century American music. There's a heavy nod to punk and post punk, and I guess a little bit of proto punk in there, and elevator music and Strawberry's favourite band, the Ramones. Like, tell me about curating this list. Um. Yeah. I um. Well, and, and there's there are a lot of punk girl bands in there too, and they're, they're I put their, those in for Strawberry because I think she's a little bit punk. She doesn't know she is, but I think she is. And yeah, I just um, I, I mean, when I was doing the pages, I was listening to music, and I mean, some of them are quite emotive, and I actually find that really helps um, get the emotion through on the page. I know it sort of sounds a bit strange because I'm. I'm drawing a you know a cartoon snake, but I um, but you know when he's at home and he's depressed and he's staring at the wall, 
when I've got a really emotive song, it just really helps. It helps with the colouring and the feel and it helps me. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I need to put this in or add another panel in just to stretch this feeling out and that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of where that came from. Some of them were quite obvious to what they should be. So a lot of the Ramones, um, I won't I won't give too much away, but there's sort of a hospital scene and there's I want to be sedated and teenage lobotomy, which just sort of fit really. So some of them I didn't think too much about, but um, some of them I, I took it a little bit too seriously and I changed them in and out and that kind of thing. But yeah, I just like the addition of the music. It's just an, it's another element to the visuals. Um, you know, I've got an attention span of a fly, so I think I read, wrote it for some, someone like me um, who just likes, you know, something else to look at. Oh, there's a song su- suggestion. There's a fan fact, that, you know, and just to run with the with the story a little bit. Yeah, I am. Um- I, as I read it and as I disco- when I discovered the playlist, I realised this is a full kind of pop culture immersive experience. You're inviting the reader to really to take in the plot and the visuals and the sound. Um, my, my original question, I think you've already addressed this, I asked whether you conceived of readers listening along, but as I was, um, as I was sort of researching for this, Rachel, I, I saw you've, you've had sort of um, kind of pop-ups. I think it was with uh, Margaret River Writers Festival. There were pages on display and I could really imagine, yeah. and I think it's very Derriger at the moment, uh, a full immersive experience where we can walk through panels of New York City glow and in each room appropriate soundtrack is playing. You can almost like oh, kind, yeah, of, cool. yeah. kind of wander <laughs> through the experience. I don't know who we talk to to get that to happen, but if it does, please bring it to Sydney. Um, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so impressed. A couple of my friends actually when they they bought the book and I, I got messages from them a few days after. They're like, oh, we're on song four. And I'm like, are you seriously listening to each song and each speech page? And like they, but they did. I had They were quite committed to it and it was quite lovely. But I don't expect that people would do that. But, um, yeah, some people are. It's incredible. <laughs> like this morning as I was um, sort of prepping and doing my notes and, and things like that, I was listening to the playlist through and I realised – I, I didn't have the, the book open in front of me, but I realised I could imagine the parts of the story and it it really is okay. quite an effective playlist. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to make it as diverse as possible. I mean, and, you know, with no rules and I, I now and again noticed that I, you know, I, I was trying to sort of um, – have a bit of everything and I was saying to myself, oh, if I have that, I've got to have that. And then I had to just pull myself aside and say, no, this is, uh, you know, there are no rules about this. Just do what suits the page. That's it. And um, so I, I, I hope, yeah, I mean, there's the the little ambulance song in there and and then there's the death metal, there's Sister Mother Down, which I love that song and which I think suits the prison perfectly. Um I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't seem like I'm a System of a Down fan at all, but I went on my research and then I found that song. It was quite, it really fit the mood of the page. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, I teased at the beginning, I teased at the beginning that part of uh, Strawberry and Ray's arc is kind of saving, securing the future of music forever. And again, I'm going to keep this deliberately opaque, but it does bring me to the question, why the Ramones? Is this is this all you, or was this was this just something that yeah. emerged out of Strawberry? Yeah, yeah. So, and um, 
No, the Ramones, I just, I, I like the Ramones, I love the Ramones, and I just think that they're, this sounds silly, but they're sort of the perfect rock and roll punk group, you know, they're just, they, um, they well, they don't take themselves too, they didn't, they didn't take themselves too seriously, um, they were all these unique characters, um, and they were just themselves, and I love that their sets were only 20 20 minutes long and someone described them as having a wall of sound. It was just loud and fast. And I just think that's what punk's all about. And so I just thought, and for 1977 New York, and if you're doing anything about music, I mean, there were a lot of other musicians at that time, but the Ramones to me just fit perfectly. Yeah. It's real. It was really interesting. Like I loved it. I loved it. Um, I do enjoy the Ramones. Strawberry, as she emerged as a character, as much as you can ever think you have an insight into the musical taste of a bioluminescent octopus, seemed <laughs> like she would be more of a Patti Smith fan to me, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe after this was all over, she might have started getting on stage and um, performing with Patti Smith, doing some poetry, maybe. I could, yeah, <laughs> see, I could, really, I could really see that. I feel like... I feel like, especially from her prison experiences, I feel like there's maybe, yeah. maybe a little, like we, everyone loves a good prison poem. Yeah. There's a long yeah, I can history imagine of that. on the CBGB stage, you know, like Patty's, you know, holding up the, a, her poem and reading it. Yeah. I can, I can see that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, no to a sequel if it ever emerged. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I'm, at, I'm actually, I'm, I'm started ideas for a new one, but it's, it's just a, a um, it's about 1978, but it's set in London, so it's still punk, mm. and I'll be moving into the new romantics. But anyway, I've just started that. I really don't have a full story of that yet, but yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've finished all the questions that I had for you, but so many questions are now arising about this possibility of sequels. First of all, I was, I was thinking, I mean, I guess this doesn't ha- necessarily have to have a sequel you are I, I guess primarily known as an an artist and and for your your paintings um did you see this more as as a, a novel or as art or is that an unnecessary distinction I'm making here well I'm, no I, I I do see it as an art piece but I it really I mean the reason I did it I, I've been playing around I'm sort of new I want I've sorry I've I'm trying to explain. I've, I've never given this the time. Um, as a kid, I used to draw comics and illustration really was all my, always my strong point. Um, but then, and, and I also worked at WA newspapers in the art room, which was a great experience. But my job there was um, mainly a page layout, design, maps, news, graphics, things like that. And again, I never really gave the illustration the time. And uh, I really wanted more creativity, so that's why I started painting, and uh, and also um, the the graphic novel thing is quite recent. So when I started painting, which is about twenty years ago, um, you know, graphic novels are around, but not really. You know, I couldn't really see a place for my illustration, and um, and then about ten years ago, I just started doing uh, concepts for picture books. Um, and I had some critique, you know, it was just a great project to have. It's, a, it's just such a good challenge to run a story and try and um, illustrate that story. And I, I think I just really needed that. So I, I certainly won't be 
closing the book on it. Um, I, I'm definitely going to be working on more because it really did my brain a favour and it helps my painting as well because I'm I'm turning up fresh to my painting and then I'm turning up fresh to the, the comic work. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Final final is probably more of a comment than a question, but if you are, <laughs> you, you've dealt with East Coast punk, if you're going over to, to Britain and sort of doing London and the, you know, the late 70s punk explosion there, like yeah. surely this has to be a trilogy and you go to Brisbane and, and do something. <laughs> Brisbane? Yeah, the Saints. <laughs> and- is that- oh, of course. Well, yeah. no, you're absolutely right because um, I actually, I do have in the back of my, it's not the right time now, but I would like to do an Australian music journey. I have no idea what the characters would be, but, um, yeah, so Brisbane, maybe I could start it there. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, again, not to nitpick, but I'm pretty sure, <laughs> I think I have this right, that it's either I'm stranded or know your product actually predates any of any of the, uh-huh. the, the Clash Sex Pistols stuff that was happening. And also, I mean, your style with like some just absolutely bizarre characters in Sir Joe, yeah, um, Sir Joe's, you know, kind of Queensland of the 70s. I just, I would love to see that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'll, I'll certainly think about that. And the, as, as when you said the, um, that music came out before the, I mean, that's to me, I love that. That's, that's the perfect little fan fact to mm. have, you know, just I'm trying to just find these obscure little, uh, I'd like to go down little rabbit holes and find interesting um, little facts for people to ponder on. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, I'm so, so pleased that we got a chance to chat about this. I hope I've done justice to just the incredible um as I said, like just the incredible immersive experience of New York City Glow. I'm going to let people know again that I am I'm speaking with Rachel Code. Her long comic graphic novel, incredible work of art, New York City Glow, is out now, and it is well worth it to uh, to discover it on so many different levels. Rachel, thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. It's been fun. Thank you. You are on the Final Draft podcast. Thank you again to Rachel Code. Rachel's new book is called New York City Glow. It is out now from Upswell Publishing. Final Draft is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can reach out to us on the socials. At least, you know, some of them. Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just look for Final Draft 2 SER. If you subscribe in your podcast app, if you are enjoying this show, give us a rating. Leave us a comment. Steal someone's phone and download it there so that they can, uh, you know, listen as well. <laughs> look, my name's Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back next week with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now. <laughs>